Welcome to the RAB Poetry Podcast, where we bring you the stories behind the words, where every poem has a story behind it. Our podcast is a journey through the hearts and minds of poets as we delve into the inspirations, struggles, and triumphs that fuel their work. In each episode, we'll feature a poem, sharing the underlying stories and reciting the most powerful and moving pieces. From various poems on wide variety of topics and rising poets and authors, our podcast is the perfect companion for anyone who loves poetry and the power of words. Whether you're a seasoned poetry enthusiast or just getting started, you'll find something to love on the RAB Poetry Podcast. So tune in and let the stories of our poets take you on a journey of inspiration and emotion. Listen to the REB Poetry Podcast, available on all major platforms now. Welcome to Fandom Power. Welcome back, folks. Boom. Back again. Andy here. And uh, as Heck. always, we got, uh, you know, man short this week, but uh, I think we'll do nice. uh, quite the show this week. Oh, man. Just uh, that was off the rails. Like uh, I, almost too much to process. Yeah. I mean, I lost count at like a hundred different things that you call Easter eggs. <laughs> I don't even know if we get at some <clears throat> some point we're probably going to just have to just call, call them back the north you know the background because i mean yeah you know after 50 camtonos is it is it even it's just a thing now it's always there it's it, you yeah, know what i mean it's like a multi-purpose every day yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a yeah exactly so and they're normalizing a lot of that stuff we're just you know we're sort of transcending what's what's super rare as an easter egg although we still we, we definitely we, we, we get deep dives we do so uh you know, Wes asked me off the air if there is such a thing as too much fan service, and I, mm. I don't think so. This no, week you I, had multiple like jump out of your seat points, and uh, even some of them were kind of tugging at your heartstrings. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, it brought me near tears a couple of times. Um, I, I love like the parallels and stuff. I know Wes had said to me also offline that like uh, he thought there might have been some missed opportunities, and I'm, there may be one or two, but I'm. I'm I, I wasn't disappointed with anything like no uh er everything made sense and and left me wanting more of absolutely every little bit of it yep can't wait for the next one Mm. but uh even though we're down one man wes is here in spirit with us and he sent a couple clips along from his exotic vacation destination so (laughs) uh let's check out wes's opening statement this week all right hey what's up guys it's wes here for fandom power and chapter six, the book of Boba Fandom, or is it chapter 18 of The Mandalorian? Either way, it's uh, chapter six. It's From the Desert Comes a Stranger. I'm sorry, guys. I cannot be there with you this week to narrate uh, at least my portion of the episode. But after uh, two years of being locked up, it was time to uh, get away. So I'm coming to you here pre-recorded from an undisclosed location in Mexico. And I just couldn't get away without uh, leaving you with some thoughts on this episode. So here, I just want to run through this quickly. From the Desert Comes a Stranger. I have to say, my first impression of this episode, I watched it at like 4 o'clock in the morning because I I couldn't sleep. And uh, this episode is what I like to call the kitchen sink episode. I mean, 
This one begs the question, is there such a thing as too much fan service? And I say that because in the previous episode, we very much fawned over how reverent and how, how self-referential the episode was to episode one, The Phantom Menace. And we all agreed that it worked very, very well. But at four o'clock in the morning, as I'm watching this episode, the number of, uh, can we call them guest appearances or cameos or crossover characters? My God, could you throw any more at us? I mean, what do we have here? We had um, we'd Cobb Vanth, Ahsoka Tano, Grogu, Luke freaking Skywalker, and of course, the return, the live action introduction of Cad Bane. And we'll talk about him in a little bit more. Again, the kitchen sink episode, uh, at four o'clock in the morning, things just felt for me, and again, for me, just a little bit forced. Um, I did rewatch the episode later on in the day, and I have to say that my opinion uh, did soften, but there are some things that I'm just gonna leave for you guys, and I'm sure Hank and Andy are gonna talk about this throughout the episode. So <laughs> there's from Wes. Right on. But, uh, <clears throat> This week, you know, we're talking about Chapter 6 from The Desert Comes a Stranger. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's got a runtime of 40 minutes and 50 seconds without the credits, or 47 minutes all in. Uh, this week's episode is directed by Dave Filoni, and My it is man. written by both Favreau and Filoni. Uh, no post credit scene this week, so you want to get into it? Let's do it. All right. Uh, we open our episode this week somewhere in the Tatooine Desert to the sight of a handful of moisture evaporators. We find four pikes near a heavily modified X-34 landspeeder. One sets down the chest and the other sets down a Camtono of credits. And uh, we've been over the Camtono before, first appearing mm -hmm. back in Empire Strikes Back. And it resur or resurfaced in the first season of The Mandalorian, but it's been popping up here and there since. Uh, originally an unaltered ice cream maker. It's gotten a bit more functional these days. And the right. name, it's uh, possibly because of a viral video with an adorable little girl from a couple years back. <laughs> and uh, if, if you don't believe me, we do have a clip of that one. So here you go. I, I want I ice cream. <laughs> so there you go. It's uh, spoken there. That's awesome. Uh, back to the moment at hand, though. Uh, as the Pikes begin to make their transaction, uh, we hear a familiar voice as a gunslinger steps into frame. And it turns out it's Cobb Vanth. He oh, is uh, back again, played by Timothy Oliphant. And with them clearly started, old Vanth, he tells them, you know, think it through. And he says that more than once. Uh, but he's already got his hand on a sidearm. And... Uh, the Pikes, you know, respectfully pull their hands away from their blasters. Vanth goes on to tell them that uh, he'll give them the benefit of the doubt as long as they uh, pack up and leave now. Because he figures, you know, we'll chalk it up. You thought you were in the middle of nowhere. But he points out from one end over there to the other, they're currently in the Moss Pelgo territory. And the stripes on his buckle indicate he is the marshal of said territories. Wicked. So we're going back to that badge again. Uh, he goes on to tell them that uh, since he hasn't seen what's in the chest, no laws have been broken. And he's willing to chalk it up to them reading the map wrong. And if, you know, as long as they just pack up and be on their way. And uh, 
they kind of nod to each other, but they have no intention of leaving. As uh, they turn, they go for their blasters, but uh, Vanth, he's quicker on the draw and dispatches three of them with ease. And to the point, he even takes out two of them with one shot. One shot, I know. It's like yeah. he banks it off the guy. <laughs> yeah, three pikes, awesome. two shots. But uh, the remaining guy, he throws his hands up because he can't get his blaster quick enough. And uh, Vanth, he strolls closer, telling him, oh, you must be the smart one. And he says, uh, I got a proposition for your bosses. He's heard of the syndicate, and he, uh, he respects that. And he can take the credits back to them. And he says, with respect, anyone else who gets lost running spice through Mos Pelgo again will be lost forever. Mm-hmm. So, you know, laying so down uh, the law, <clears throat> as it were. I think they're, they, they, the Pikes mentioned, too, that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Pikes mentioned, too, that we're going to just leave the spice here and we'll take the credits and we're going to leave. And I think their plan was to just, like, leave spice somewhere where, where you know, they random farmers would find it and therefore get addicted to it and That's then therefore possible. have to pay through the nose for it. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's a an evil and you know, first one's free. It's a yeah. it's a good business plan for a drug dealer. Well the next uh next part here kind of makes me wonder, but uh you know, he tells the pike, you know, unload it and leave and consider it a fine for trespassing. But uh the pike replies, you know, this chest is worth more than that town. Yep. And Vanth, he kind of snidely replies back, well, maybe I'll retire. With, uh, you know, he's still got his blaster trained on him. The pike, he complies, unloads the chest, jumps in and drives off. And as the pike vanishes out of sight, Vanth, he eyes it up and, you know, just looks at it for a second before kicking it over. And uh, once he does, the lid comes off and uh, the rest of the spice inside is just taken by the desert. So, uh after this season, uh, Tatooine's going to be half spice. Yeah, like you figure <laughs> Tuscan's digging everywhere. for those black melons or Bantha's just kind of walking around. Are they getting a contact eye from this stuff? <laughs> could be, could be. But, uh, you know, really quick, we get our title card. And uh, again, from the desert comes a stranger. And we might be thrown off because, you know, Cobb Vanth is out in the desert. But definitely, he's not our stranger because we already know who he is. <laughs> so uh, we shift gears from the emptiness of the desert and we shift over to the vastness of space where we find uh, Din Djarin on approach to a planet and best I could pull out of the Orbesh on his uh, screen here is nice. I-C-N-J-E-I but the J and the I are upside down so not sure what's going on there he's uh I'm crashing and burning here. Uh, we oh, shift no, gears, right. he's out there. And approaching this lush green planet, you know, we get a little beeper going off. And uh, as we see down on the planet, there's a little dish giving off a signal. And it turns out it's R2-D2. Oh, so, so good. Uh, one of our first <clears> legacy exact, characters to pop up I mean, up of here. course, it's still the same, but it's the exact same dish and style of scanning that he does in Empire. Yeah. But... Uh, at, at the time of writing, uh, this droid, possibly re- responsible for the rescue of Grogu back when Anakin turned to the dark side, hmm. you know, he's back. And as Bando's ship sets down, he embarks and uh, greets the droid, telling him, I'm looking for Skywalker and Grogu. Yeah. His whole his whole thing with droids is completely flipped. The first thing he says is, hello, friend. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, his disposition, as Pelimato said, might have changed. 
That's right. But uh, small aside here, uh, we had our theory back uh, last year that got some good reach. But uh, with this appearance of R2-D2, I think it pretty much puts our smoking nub theory out yeah, the window. No, no, nubs are gone. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, as Wes had pointed out back during The Mandalorian, there was one and only occurrence where R2 had these little bolt nubs sticking out of his legs. Yeah. And when we coupled that with the Thrawn trilogy, it brings you to the doorstep of evil Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <clears throat> but here in the Book of Boba Fett, they're gone again. And I, uh, I haven't given up entirely on that. I just don't think that this Luke is that Luke. No. Yeah. Because going back and rewatching The Mandalorian, uh, multiple times they appear, disappear, and reappear within that episode. Yeah. It's, so uh, <laughs> it's very strange. Yeah, we're, we're fond of on our toes. pretty much because we're fond of saying, you know, nothing is done by accident here, mm. but it may be one of those rare cases where it simply is a continuity error doing to them having to shoot with the false intention of having Plo Koon show up. That's right. So nine nubs. Yep. But back on our green planet, uh, R2 leads Mando into a bamboo forest and Mando notices a rock tilting up. And he only finds out that it is an android that is carrying it off somewhere. Awesome. And as they enter a clearing, we find multiple androids moving rocks and constructing a new stone building. Uh, very similar to the domed buildings we saw on Octu in The Last Jedi. So and cool. the, the androids here, they're a pretty interesting concept. Uh, this is our first introduction to them. Clearly, they don't come from the planet, though, so they have to be brought in. Chances are good. These are the same type of droids that probably did the construction on Octu as well. So maybe there's a galactic rental place out there and Luke got the well, discount if, second go around. If this, is the, if this is the planet that I think it is, um, uh, this is the same, the same place that uh, where the Luke's Academy is eventually burned down. And this is the planet Alfana. Mm -hmm. uh, it's defined in the comic books in the, uh, the rise of Kylo Ren comic books, a canon comic that actually details the the beginning of Luke's Academy with and his training of, of Ben Solo and, and how he and Ben Solo and Lor Santeca go all over the galaxy looking for Jedi artifacts and other other students of the force. So on this planet somewhere else, there's an extensive Jedi temple that they that they find and and explore. And I don't even know if Luke has found it yet because they just find it in the in in the in the comic. In the comic. And and Ben Ben is like 10, 12 years old then. So it's still a good five to six years in the future, hmm. but it, it's quite, it's quite the, uh, like he's drawn to the planet for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so it's possible that these droids were hanging around there is what I'm yeah. sort of getting at. Could be. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, moving on Mando, he questions, is this where Skywalker and Grogu are? But an ant droid comes up to R2 and, uh, they exchange some bleeps and bloops and uh, really quickly R2 powers down and Mando, he tries to wake him up with no success. But meanwhile, the Android has started stacking two piles of rocks. Then another <laughs> one returns with a bundle of bamboo poles. He asks the androids if they know, but they ignore him and go about their work. Uh, quickly, the droids have constructed a bench and after calling <laughs> out, a bench. For, yeah, he's like, is there anyone living here? He just reluctantly takes a seat. And then we shift across to another part of the planet and we see two figures sitting atop a hill. 
and turns out it's Luke and Grogu, and they're deep in some meditation. But it's not long before the sounds of a little sorghum frog break Grogu's concentration, and the little critter goes hopping off in front of him. He tries to ignore it, but apparently, you know, Grogu's always hungry. And uh, he opens one eye and uses the force to levitate the frog before it can hop into a nearby pond. And then he skillfully brings the frog back to him and positions it to become his next tasty snack. <laughs> uh, we've seen these frogs before. They're native to the planet Sorgan. And it was there we were first introduced them as Grogu then attempted to eat one during Chapter 4 of The Mandalorian. Uh, we also saw them in Chapter 4 of The Book of Boba Fett during a flashback when Boba was chasing that rat catcher droid through the kitchen. Mm -hmm. They were getting uh, prepped up to be a meal for Bib Fortuna. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Spit that out. <clears throat> um, Luke, he opens his eyes just in time to see him, you know, about to eat it and... Uh, with just a hint of admonishment, he gives Grogu, you know, don't do it. And uh, Grogu releases the frog. And it hops away. But uh, Grogu then hangs his head a little bit sad. And taking note of that, Luke again closes his eyes and reaches out with the force. Using his black gloved hand. And there, he lifts the frog back out along with a dozen more. And Grogu's eyes just go wide. And uh, seeing this Luke, he lets go of the frogs. They all splash down, and he suggests they go for a walk. So it's like he's proven to him there, like, here's what, here's, like, yeah, you can eat one frog if you dabble. But if you learn to master this ability that I'm trying to teach you, yeah. you, you can eat you can eat forever. Sort of like the, uh, the Christ teach a man to fish yes. uh, lesson, almost. I'm, I'm wondering in Luke's head, though, if this was the equivalent of Yoda showing him lifting the X-Wing. Uh, I think so. I mean, like, I mean it's it's somewhere in there. Like, you yeah. you really get the impression they actually haven't been together for very long. No. no. Like, like he, you know, maybe maybe they just got there. It's possible. Long enough to start setting up shop anyway. Right. Like, ex yeah, exactly. Yeah. Meaning but, Din yeah. didn't stay away for very long. Like, couldn't. No. No. But uh, as they go walking, uh, they go through the forest and Luke tells Grogu, you know, he reminds me of someone that meant a great deal to him. And uh, all the while, he's levitating Grogu every few steps so that he keeps up stride. And uh, he recounts his recollection of Yoda. And Yoda was small like Grogu, but his heart was huge. And he was strong with the Force. And he tells uh, Grogu of Yoda's speech patterns and asks if the child remembers anybody speaking that way back home. And then he asks if Grogu remembers back home. Uh, we got a comment in here. I think Grogu learns how unfair it is to use the force to snatch something from its life. That could be too. Hmm. Totally. But uh, Luke places his hand on uh, Grogu's head and we're given a flashback to the night of the massacre at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Wow. And uh, this is a big one. We should point out, uh, as we're in front of Grogu, three Jedis are hopelessly trying to keep members of the 501st at bay. And one by one, they fall to blaster fire. Mm -hmm. And uh, as the troops advance, you know, they'd start double tapping the fallen Jedi. 
And we should point out here, this isn't the first time we visited this specific hallway. No. no Back no. in uh, Clone Wars Season 5, Episode 20, Anakin paid a visit to the Marillion Jedi Knight, Beresafi. Mm. Yes. And uh, Wes actually had a couple thoughts on this that we can share here for you. So let's take a look at that. Uh, how about the whole idea of Grogu uh, remembering more than he's actually learning anything? And, and then, of course, Luke trying to help him uh, unlock his memories. And, of course, we get this awesome sequence at the Jedi Temple with uh, Grogu obviously uh, observing the other Jedi, uh, the Jedi Padawans in front of him uh, getting cut down. Possibly a, 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 a Barris Ulfi reference there, and I'm not 100% sure if it is or it isn't, because we know that Barris Offi went to prison. So whether they actually held her at the Jedi Temple or somewhere else is yet to be seen. But we do, in fact, see the 501st Legion advancing on the temple. Excuse me. And uh, we do see Jedi fall, and then the memory ends. So it, it begs the question, we've talked about it before, who got Grogu out of the temple? And I know that our, our first, or my first impression was R2-D2 based on, I thought that they had some recognition towards each other. But given with what has just occurred in this episode, I am not ruling out a return of Mace Windu. Uh, and I don't say that lightly. I know that, it, that it's a big one, that a lot of people are really excited that this may in fact happen, but there is a part of me that sincerely thinks that uh, Mace Windu survived the fall. Mace Window. Uh, survived his fall out the window and uh, is going to be the one to uh, get Grogu, in fact, out of uh, the temple. I wouldn't hmm. say no to a Mace Window return. I, I, I definitely wouldn't. I, I'm not sure that this is the avenue for it. I, I, I mean, if, if, if you're complaining about too much fan service and too many characters in one thing, uh, then uh, seems I don't weird know. to pile uh, yeah. one more on. <laughs> to, Even to if he's him the... There. Uh, Here's what I will ever. say, though. Uh, we've we've seen um, we've seen the Jedi keep captive Jedi or errant Jedi uh, in their quarters, in their own quarters, all throughout the Clone Wars, a few cases. And it's not a huge stretch to say that Beresafi was being kept in her own quarters, awaiting sentencing or even trial, while three Jedi waited, you know, stood guard over her. Mm -hmm. when Order 66 occurred. And I think that's what you're seeing here. I don't think that that was a prison block. I agree no. that it was the hallway and her, and her quarters. Well, I in do fact, have a slide here that actually pretty much confirms that. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'll bring that up here. So there is the view at the top there of the memory. And then below that is the view of Anakin walking down the hall. Right. And you can see the symbol on the inside mm -hmm. and the outside as well. So it's on 100%. both doors and uh, 100%. There, there's no mistaking it. No. And um, I will say this isn't nubs. This is no. not a mistake. This is hundred percent no. intentional. And whether it leads us to believe that maybe Barisolfi had something to do with Grogu's rescue. I sort of tend to be in the camp where I don't think Grogu was rescued. I think that they, the emperor had him and I and probably had him for him. 25 years and that that something else occurred to get Grogu in the hands of the, uh, of the uh, the Nick Two uh, sort of group there uh, when we first meet him in Episode One of the Mandalorian, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, because they were trying to recover Grogu. It's not like they didn't have him before. They already had his blood. They were already running 
experiments. We saw the tanks with the Snokes in them already. Yeah. Um, so I think that possibly uh, sort of my headcanon is that uh, Ophi and Ophi tries to, to, to help Grogu, uh, but they're both captured. And then her, her penchant for the dark side is explored. And I think you're going to see Barris Ophi as a, an antagonist in the Ahsoka Tana show, uh, maybe even as an inquisitor. That would be cool. That would be cool. Uh, for those who may not know, Barris Ophi was arrested for her part in the bombing of the Jedi temple. Yeah. Which and she tried her, to frame Ahsoka for. She did. Uh, her death was supposed to be part of that episode, but Filoni cut the scene. And he's on record having said he had plans for the character. Yeah. But it was shown in the Dark Horse comic adaptation of Revenge of the Sith that she died during Order 66. Mm-hmm. But since this now falls under the Legends category, yes, <laughs> it's completely possible she didn't perish at all. But the question is, what were Filoni's plans for her? Uh, Dark Horse did some great stuff in those runs, and uh, fortunately, got the shaft from Disney <laughs> when they decided to strike all the Dark Horse stuff canon too, like a lot of old, old, ten thousand years ago Jedi stuff, Sith yeah. stuff, uh, just got kind of put in the trash can. But hopefully, they. They dip into some of that, that Ulek Keldromo stuff in the uh, the Tales of the Jedi comic is one of the best of all time, actually. If you guys haven't nice. read that, go check it out. Nice. But uh, moving on back here, Grogu, he opens his eyes and looks around. And he finds himself next to Luke by a riverbank. And Luke tells Grogu that the galaxy is a dangerous place. Mm. But he'll teach the child how to protect himself. And as the two sit silently, we cut back to find Mando laying back on the bench. And uh, if we dial in on this one image really quick, as I believe it was you that pointed it out, Hank, mm. uh, maybe there's something to this. Maybe there's not. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, this particular visual has been used over and over, usually when we're at a point of birth, rebirth, or death. Certainly. It feels so. kind of like, a therapy session in this scene for some reason though. Almost. Yeah. I, I kind of got that sort of Sigmund Freud sort of thing going on there. Yeah. Uh, especially once Ahsoka starts psychoanalyzing his sort of his yes. fatherhood. Yeah. But uh, it'd be weird to go to a droid therapist. <laughs> yeah. But uh, R2, he powers up and uh, sensing someone on instinct, Mando draws only to find uh, it's Ahsoka. She's leaning up against a tree and uh, instantly recognizing her. You know, he lowers his blaster and remarks how he didn't expect to see her here. But she tells Mando she's a friend of the family. And uh, he also questions as, you know, you wouldn't train the child, but why are you okay with Luke doing it? And she replies, she's still not going to train him. Master Luke is. And uh, Mando, he asks, you know, what are you doing here? But she fires the question right back at him. And he plainly says, you know, I'm here to see the kid. Mm. And Ahsoka says that that's why R2 brought you to me. So uh, Mando, he goes on to ask about, you know, the structure that the androids are working on. And she tells him someday it'll be a great school. And Grogu is to be the first student. Uh, Mando asks how Grogu is doing. And she just tells him bluntly, fine. Uh, He restates that, you know, I want to see Grogu and Ahsoka says she knows and invites him to take a walk. Mm. 
Rosario Dawson has been either either she's been spending eons with Dave Filoni or she's been spending hours and hours and hours combing over the footage from uh, Rebels and Clone Wars, but she's perfectly mimicking the mannerisms, the physical mannerisms of the Ahsoka character, like a lot more than she did um, in, the in, in, that, in that one episode. Uh, and her speech patterns are perfect now. She doesn't use contractions. She's like, it's, it's, I can't, I can't get over enough, uh, how, how right into the character she's gotten. And it's, it's brilliant. The way she crosses her arms, the way she just yeah. puts a hand on a shoulder, the, uh, the way she doesn't use contractions, like almost like uh, data from Star Trek. Um, uh, fantastic, man. Fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, as they make their way through the bamboo forest, uh, Mando, you know, she tells him, I warned you that attachment to this child will be difficult to let go. And he says, but he was a Mandalorian foundling in my care. So first, or I guess second after the uh, armorer said that he's a foundling. Mm -hmm. So even Mando is now referring to him that way. Right. But uh, he's there and he just wants to make sure he's safe. And uh, Ahsoka assures him, you know, there's no place safer in the galaxy than here with Luke. And uh, when he asks, you know, why are you fine with his choice when you wouldn't? Hesitantly, she says, because it was his choice and she doesn't want to control the wants of others. Mm. So Mando, he says, you know, well, it's my choice. I'm going to go see the kid and not stopping him. She says, of course, if that's what you wish. And she looks off and uh, Mando, he follows her gaze only to see Luke, or Luke and Grogu on the hill. Mm hmm. And he, he moves to go to Grogu, but Ahsoka asks, you know, are you doing this for Grogu or are you doing it for yourself? And Mando, you know, he, he waits a moment and then he pulls out the little bundle and he tells Ahsoka, you know, I, I just want to give it to him. And when she asks why, so Grogu will remember you? He says, no, as a Mandalorian foundling, he should have it because it's his right. Mm-hmm. So uh, Ahsoka, you know, she crosses her arms and uh, questions, you know, foundling or is he a Padawan now? And Mando pauses, too, and says, you know, either way, this armor will protect him. <clears throat> right. And she says, you know, if you're set on it, please allow me to deliver it. And there's a bit of sadness in his voice because he says, you know, I came all this way and he's right there. Mm -hmm. But then Ahsoka, she places her hand on Mando and says, you know, he misses you a great deal. But if he sees you, it will only make things more difficult for him. So, you know, he stares up at his little friend again. The Beskar just kind of glinting off the uh, sunlight, glinting off his Beskar. And he pauses again before turning and handing her the bundle. He turns to leave as Ahsoka studies the small bundle, and then she makes her way towards Luke and Grogu, and the camera pans away. Nice. So, like, if you love something, let it go, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, he's all the way there. He's, like, literally feet away from Grogu, but still makes that choice to uh, try and make it easier on him. That's fantastic. We look up and find... Uh, over Skywalker's shoulder, there's Grogu in a backpack, and he's reaching out as he sees Mando's starfighter lift off and depart. Luke sets him down and uh, 
asks to see how high can you jump? And he does so, but he barely leaves the ground. <laughs> and Luke, he tells him, you know, bend your knees, feel the force and try again. But he gets the same result. And then Luke tells him, you know, you're trying too hard. And in a twist on that legacy line, yeah. he says, don't try, do. But sensing Grogu's frustration, Luke loads him back in the backpack and they go sprinting through the forest in a similar fashion like they did uh, back in uh, Empire. Yeah, I think it's the same backpack. It might be. I think, I think it is, yeah. It's pretty great. Yeah. I mean, he's even mimicking the flips and whatnot too, right? Oh, it's perfect, yeah. So, uh, the inverse direction too. A lot of the scenes are inverted, mm -hmm. uh, on part, you know, because this is the, the, even the student and the teacher are inverted. Yeah. It's fantastic. But, uh, leaping over branches and rocks, Luke even does the flip the same way. Mm -hmm. And as they bound toward the river, Luke pauses on a fuzzy boulder only for a moment before leaping onward. And we find out that it was a yak-like or bison-like creature mm -hmm. instead of rocks. Yeah, possibly and, a, uh, a, a nerf. Maybe our possibly. first live-action version of a nerf. Cool. Yeah. But uh, they continue to run, skipping past more of these bison-like yaks. And uh, eventually, they come to a host of bamboo shoots, which, uh, you know, he just grabs a hold and scales right up. Yeah. And at the top. They pause and take in the view, and Luke tells Grogu, you know, the wide world exists in balance, and you got to feel the force all around you. They both close their eyes and reach out, and the wind blows gently, and we get that all-too-familiar musical cue. Mm -hmm. And he tells Grogu, you know, through the force, you will find balance as well. Yeah, very similar to the lesson he teaches Rey on the rock in uh, The Last Jedi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, the last year. But uh, the camera pans away, and we rejoin them at Riverside. And I'm going to hand the ha the uh, reins over to Hank now for the second half here. So Perfect. Got, uh, Literally balance. balance. Literally yes. balance. The lesson he was he was teaching. Uh, Grogu attempts to balance on the stump one on one foot, using the force to aid him, and he can't quite get it. But uh, uh, on his third try, he seems to be doing quite well, and it. It echoes the Luke sort of standing on one hand and and, and using the force to balance. Um, and uh, Luke is using the same language that 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 Yoda used, you know, incurred good, very good, you know, um, feel the force flow through you and things of that nature. It's 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 uh, I don't know. I just couldn't be happier about this stuff, like watching watching a legacy character fill, you know, the uh, the mind of this new character with all those. You know, it's it's like having Yoda teach him those things. You know, yeah. Um, he uh, they uh, as he stands now, sort of confident, he's on one like sort of little bamboo thing, resting yeah. resting on one foot, really, you know, just holding his position, real confident. Luke runs through a form five lightsaber, uh, the way of the crate dragon, and uh, uh, showing his uh, his prowess with the saber and running through a kata looks really good sort of when I noticed, and I don't know if you noticed earlier, but I was thinking he was wearing the exact same thing that he was wearing in um, the first episode of The Mandalorian that we saw him in. But you don't really see him without his cloak on, so it's hard to get a good view of what he's actually wearing underneath. But mm -hmm. you sort of think that's the same outfit that he's wearing in Return of the Jedi, but it isn't, actually. This is much more like a like a, a martial arts gi. It's like a ninja, mm. to, a ninja, a ninja top. It's crossed over and, and 
tied off to the sides with the belt over top of it. Sort of looks, relaxed looks awesome. Approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we do have a comment here. Uh, does ET know Yoda? Does ET know Yoda? So there is a theory. Yeah, there's a there is a theory, and I won't I won't get deep into it. But if you go back and you watch uh, uh, the Phantom Menace, yeah, uh, there's a a group of when there's the no vote vote of no confidence in Chancellor Valorum, and they pan across the Senate floor. There's a one of the pods has a bunch of ETs in it, and uh, therefore sort of canonizes the ETs as being inside the Star Wars galaxy. Yeah. And uh, if you want to go one little step deeper, when Elliot in the movie ET is playing with a couple of action figures, uh, ET seems to sort of recognize Gro- uh, Greedo. And then later on, when they're at, the, in the Halloween, right on the street, yeah. he, some he, kids he, dressed up as Yoda, and, and he's like, ET kind of home, stops home, and like, oh. home. So yeah, it's there's a there's a good chance that that ET knew that Yoda. There's a precedent for it. Yep. Uh, uh, we, Luke pulls out a, a really familiar object, and uh, this is sort of one of the things where I'm, uh, I, you know, the, the Easter eggs start to become average, everyday objects in the Star Wars world, which is great. But he, he explains to, to to Grogo, this is a training remote, and uh, he sort of tosses it over on the ground to him, and <laughs> the Grogu does the best thing because he's he's still like a four or five year old. He he rolls it like a ball over to Luke. Like no no no, that's yeah. not how it works. Luke reaches out through the force. And, flips his hand and turns it on it snaps to life and jumps up in the air and says, this is how it works and it's got that great movement to it that yeah it, it's same really, as uh, it, it doesn't four. really yeah it doesn't track with the modern cgi it looks stilted and but on purpose same sort of same the way the uh, the desert kraken looked yeah. kind of stilted on purpose uh and it takes the shot and it just you know just zaps at his feet and it sends him <laughs> flying back uh, yeah and he sneezes he's the little cutest little sneeze there too like a little chew and it's, you know, uh, people are all over like, oh, it's so cruel. Why would he do that? But it's Obi-Wan did the exact same thing, threw him into the deep end, handed him a lightsaber, put a blast shield over his head and threw a live remote at him. So this is sort of the same thing. Um, but what we do see then is, uh, uh, oh, and he knocks him down. And Luke, Luke imparts a lesson. Now, this lesson is very important because this is a lesson that the, uh, the, Mand- yeah. the Mandalorian exhibits every time we see him in a fight. And they, he tells him to get up and always get up. And that's a that's a sort of a huge crossover point because we always see the the Mandalorian beat to this point of like barely being able to stand and then like Rocky getting up anyway to try to finish yeah. the fight. I, I thought that was really uh, sort of an important lesson uh, imparted by the wrong teacher. I thought it was kind of neat. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the remote strikes again. This time, Grogu leaps out of the way, like like you know, and yeah, backflips no and lands per- expertly, like like he's been doing it his whole life. And uh, proceed to a sort of a montage uh, out over the water. Grogu's out over the water. Now he's skipping from stone to stone to stone, uh, you know, back flipping, side flicking, flipping, front flipping, uh, and anticipating, you know, by seconds sometimes this this remote. Um, and uh, Ahsoka, Ahsoka walks out into the clearing where, where Luke looks on and she says, wow, he's, uh, you've taught him well. And, and Luke admits, like, I really haven't taught him anything. It's more like he's remembering. And yeah. maybe some of that... Uh, trauma that he unleashed also unleashed some of his ability mm-hmm. uh, to wield the force it certainly seems like it it did uh, especially until... because we see grogu having a track record of using the force when trauma is at hand yeah like using right? it on uh impulse yeah. almost like i mean I'm i wouldn't hungry, be surprised right i wouldn't really be surprised if those clone troopers that are approaching him just get picked up and ragdolled by him yeah 
you know, he's similar to a, the ones in the, right. In the so powerful there. naturally, like an innate ability, like, and that's the way they always speak in legends of Yoda's race. Yeah. Their innate ability to wield the force is just next level. Yeah. Oh, so Grogu like sort of reaches out through the force and, and the ball is approaching him and it stops and he just like crushes it from the inside and it yeah. explodes like, in a shower of sparks and falls into the water and sinks below. And Grogu kind of looks over at approval and instead of being upset, Luke's like good. Which is kind of a little bit like Luke's having a hard time. Not yeah, like because like from Grogu's point here, he's almost like I'm done playing with this thing now, and right. I'm going to destroy it. Right, and and it's sort of, so it's sort of like okay, it's good that you're wielding the force, but Luke is like uh, almost encouraging s- some sort of negativity a bit. Luke yeah. Luke's new to the game. I'm not going to say he's bad at it yet. I know I've heard lots of stuff online saying oh he's super bad at it. No wonder he he's a piece of garbage in the in the Last Jedi, but I think he's just trying to f- figure it out, man. He's 28 yeah. years old. At the end yeah. of the day, he's still a young man. Uh, and he's, he's had to go through him. his own trauma. Is, is, right. His own trauma is terrible. Uh, you know, even Ahsoka has to sort of teach him lessons in the next scene, you know? Yeah. Uh, so they start to talk, and, and uh, Luke senses the obvious, and he, he says the Mandalorian was here, and, and Ahsoka said yes. Um, he wanted to give him a gift, and she pulls out the cloth, package still in the bow that like like its owner had given him and looks exactly like Grogu. Luke takes it in his glove hand and he measures the weight carefully. Sometimes I wonder if his heart is in it. And he remarks wearily as Grogu sits down on his perch. And she looks over him and sort of gets this like prideful grin, almost like she's proud, so much like your father. Yeah. And I I don't know why, but that line made me like like I went, ooh. It makes you wonder, <laughs> like, have they had the conversation yet? Right? Like because there's a huge conversation there and you kind of don't want it to be off camera, but then again, it would be a half hour of them sitting, drinking tea, just telling you stuff you already knew about each other. So maybe it is off camera, but just so much like your father and earlier in the episode, you know, like um, I'm a friend of the family, like these things, like, like, you know, the student of the Skywalker is, you know, she's, she's practically Luke's sister In, in, in terms of, you know, the, the, the Jedi lineage, you know, it's, uh, it's really nice to see these two interact. It's like the biggest fanboy service thing I could ever imagine. And it's like yeah. live action before my life. Well, CG before my eyes. <laughs> uh, so much like your father, but Luke's stoic. And as Google settles in for a nap, Luke asks, what should I do about him? You know, still, what's that? Hey guys, uh, we got a comment. You? I'm pretty sure it's from Wes or Kim, but uh, much love from West down in Mexico. Nicely done, sir. Safe travels. Come back soon. Yep. Um, she she gives him like a little bow of respect, right? Right, exactly. Um, and now Anakin's former Padawan, the true master, tells him to trust his instincts. And this is a Qui-Gon to Obi-Wan moment. And so we're like getting the great-grandfather's teaching. Along with. Right? Like, so, I mean, and you start to see the generations. And maybe you do start to see a little bit of how it's mired in dogma too. Yeah. Um, they're, they're passing down these successive lessons and these things, these people have to find their own ways with these lessons because the, you know, we, we know that it's easy to fall into hubris. Yeah. Cause it seems like, you know, even though Luke knows it, he's still putting his own twist on what he learned or took away from you. Exactly. Um, Luke, uh, she, she gives, she gives him the thing. He measures it in his hand. It's probably heavier than he thought or lighter than he thought, but he, you know, he, he kind of takes it and puts it in his tunic and then she, she walks off and 
he's like, you know, will I ever see you again? And it, it's the same line that Anakin gives to his mother. And it's actually a really telling moment where, where Luke, Luke is a child for a second, right? He, and he, he needs Ahsoka's help so bad with this. It's not funny. Um, and yeah. he doesn't know what to do, but she says, you, you know, you have to trust, trust, trust your feelings. You know, she imparts that lesson on him. And uh, she tells him, you know, she gives him this sort of a Jedi salute, you know, to the chest, like a military salute. Yeah. And, and she says, may the force be with you and, and walks off. And it's just like, oh, God, <laughs> I just need more of that. I need to see them back to back with lightsabers, just wiping out yeah. fleets of stormtroopers. <laughs> I just need to see that. Uh, and then uh, snap to a black star field as the N1 leaps from hyperspace, slicing its way across the camera. It pans to reveal the desert world of Tatooine and its familiar twin sons. My favorite shot of the episode, completely my favorite shot of the episode, is Din Djarin in that cockpit, <laughs> shot from the inside. And I'll tell you why I love this so much. In the old World War II fighter pilot movies, when they, were, when they actually managed to get, you know, when they were using actual footage, um, they would put the cameras inside the cockpits because you couldn't obviously mount them on outside the cockpit. They just blow off. Um, yeah, no GoPro. And you couldn't yet. fly close enough. Like that tech wasn't there yet. You couldn't fly upside down over another plane and take pictures like Top Gun. You couldn't do that stuff, right? So these, like, and that's the traditional uh, fighter pilot camera between the legs on the floor from the gunwale at the at the joystick, looking up at the pilot. There's also one from over the shoulder that they use a couple times, but. But just the fact that they can, because now we're not in a giant cockpit where there could be a cameraman anywhere. And to sort of, yeah. to, to bring us into that reality, they keep the cockpit cameras like fixed. And, and, and I think you're going to see a lot more of this shot, especially flying. Uh, yeah. And man, I, I loved it a lot. <laughs> I, I can't say enough about it, actually. Well, even uh, our, uh, our descriptive audio lady goes out of her way multiple times to say, you know, in the cramped cockpit. Right, right. So, so. good. So good, such a different sort of animal to a to a light freighter that he used to sort of uh, yeah. fly. Um, He's adapting well to it, though. He, he is, yeah. He's a hell of a pilot, actually. And we get uh, a nice visual again of, uh, well, formerly Jabba's palace, but uh, oh, with its spires and whatnot. This is so good. He streaks into the hangar of Boba's, uh, and alas, we are, and at last, we are treated to a clear aerial view of the hangar side, and we can see a. Uh, a, a huge staircase running halfway up the exterior and um, the, and several more towers. And instead of a sense, like I always thought that maybe this was carved out of the rock. Mm. And I sort of get the sense by these shots that that sand has overtaken it in time, that this yeah. monastery is super, super, super ancient, like predates the, the, the desert. Um, uh, Din banks low and pulls in and we see several moisture evaporators and a familiar skiff just outside the open hangar. Din arrives at Boba's palace, touching down in the hangar, and we see several more desert skiffs, and Din exits the sleek craft as he approaches a familiar Gamorian brandishing a vibro-wax, standing in front of the slave one stops him. And he tells him, I'm here at the request of Fennec Shand. Gamorian nods and, you know, no, absolutely you are. Inside Boba's war room, the, his tribe is gathered around the hologram of the city, and Fennec takes the lead. The Pike Syndicate has been gathering soldiers for the last few weeks suggesting that a bit of time has passed since episode four. Um, so she recaps that uh, she recaps that the mayor Mokshayiz is on the Pike payroll and has left the planet thinking that that means the storm must be about to break. In a really funny moment, the major domo is like, no, that was a scheduled vacation. West. Yeah. 
<laughs> and, uh, and I love the look she shoots him though. It's like, oh, shut up, right? Guy. And then and then the Gamora like snorts something at him that he just completely yeah. understands because he just sort of skulks skulks off. Uh, based on the whispers, they believe they know where the <laughs> it autocorrected to the pukes, and I love it <laughs> the, <laughs> where the pikes are gathered. Uh, telling the group that Moss Espo uh, uh, familiars seem to uh, willing to just let the pikes move into their to Boba's territory. Uh, she introduces Mando, who's standing off in the shadows, stating that he and Chrysanthemum will be the enforcers, and the Mods have done a thorough job of scouting the intel, but they lack the foot soldiers for all-out war, to which Mando coolly states he might be able to help with that. The group turns to look at them and to each other, uh, and you sort of get that first shot of the ragtag. And it's like, um, it reminds you of the uh, the Rebel Alliance and the way yeah, that they're gathering and planning the, around where they're going right? to attack. Yeah. The star. Always around a hollow table, always in a sort of dark, uh, you know, yeah. cramped area. Um, like based on that hollow, there's a lot of pikes set up here. A lot, a lot of pikes. Yeah. yeah. And I, and I think that it might not even be the city. I might, it might be like sort of the greater, that part of Tatooine mm-hmm. where the cities are yeah, and up, stuff. Up on the ridge or I guess on the ridge there, but right. still overlooking the city. Cut to the desert exterior and the sun-bleached teeth and jaws of familiar crate dragon skull roll into view. And if anything in this episode bordered on unfulfilled promise that, that this wasn't the sand people that Din had gone to recruit. Instead, the camera pans back. So I will give you that, Wes. I thought for sure <laughs> we were getting a tribe of sand people here. Yeah. But instead, the uh, uh, to reveal the Jawas have, a scaven- have scavenged even that and have strapped it to the top of their sand crawler. And the Jawas hoot and holler as the starfighter swings by them low, waving their furry hands in the air. <laughs> Again with the furry, though. Again eh? with the furry hands, yeah. Approaching low over the weather vanes of the familiar town of Moss Pelgo, Din lands the freighter just on the edge of town. An armed local sporting an orange bandana around his neck, who's been eyeing the craft, approaches the Mandalorian, telling him, if you want to park your starship, you'll have to do it out there in the flats. Uh, you can tell right away that this guy is, might as well have been wearing a Star Trek red shirt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, just green as hell, and uh, you know, gri- still grizzled, still a Tatooine native. You gotta, you know, like, so they yeah. couldn't make him like a clean and super young, but um, definitely, you, you could just tell that he's, he's cannon fodder at the about to action, though. Right, right, so cocksure, right, so cocky. Uh, but we know how how that goes, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mando tells him, uh, he says, "I don't think you heard me," and Mando tells him, "No." I heard you, but a familiar voice smoothly says, I'll take it from here, deputy. And the deputy sheepishly strolls off. Mando nods to the marshal, who replies, looking back over his shoulder. He's new. Still a bad jumpy. Is that an N1? <laughs> Is that an Naboo starfighter? And I love yeah. the way he delivers that line. Just like all at once, notices something completely unique and interesting and uses it to change the conversation. Yeah. Uh, now, I got to go. I think, is it is it here where I go off on the tangent? I think maybe, maybe this is probably a good place to go off on a tangent. Timothy Oliphant. I can't, I really can't say enough about this guy. In fact, I'm going to go back uh, and watch everything he's ever done. Um, even that Drew Barrymore zombie show. <laughs> uh, he's fantastic. Um, I know like he's been in 55 Westerns and, and that's probably what I'm going to watch the most. Cause he's, he's got the, the, the look, the, the mannerisms, he's got the, the swagger, the speech patterns. You know, like the just the the the, the slang, like it, it's like he talks like that in real life. You know, you all, you know, like might be might be good, 
you know, like just amazing. Yeah. I can't get over it enough. And so credit where credit's due, Timothy Oliphant's bringing this character to life and he's, and he's brilliant. And, uh, John and, and, and Dave are brilliant for, for reaching into the huge tre treasure trove of characters and pulling this guy into live action. Now, yeah. if, if you guys don't know where he came from, he, he's, he's in a several interludes smattered throughout like I, and i'm talking like 25 pages not a lot not a lot of stuff but very cool stuff in the in the chuck wendig's uh aftermath novels and the aftermath novels have the distinction of being the canon stuff that occurs right after return of the jedi so where heir to the empire novels fell in, in the old legends sort of thing uh and there's a lot of cool cool stuff political intrigue and we get to learn you know about the, our our legacy characters and how they deal with the ramifications of things we cool things like the huts refer to leia as the hut slayer and uh you know there's a lot of cool stuff but i think the coolest stuff is the interludes and the, the, the interludes all revolve around freetown on tatooine and it's marshall cobb vanth and the fact that he acquired boba fett's armor from some jawas and so uh, the idea of that like as i'm reading these things going oh my god that's so so cool and then we actually get that you know in uh mando season two yeah uh, uh just incredible stuff i was so over the, the moon but um this week uh the creator chuck wendig sort of reached out on twitter with sort of i don't know i passive i mean i feel for the people i feel for creators too because i create and i wouldn't want somebody to sort of do this to me but um he reached out in a really passive aggressive tweet saying you know it looks like corporations aren't giving credit again for things that people have created and and everybody knew exactly what it meant, but I have to sort of say, um, Disney just put his name on the show. It's not going to cost you anything. You could tuck it in between the yeah. guy who brings you sandwiches and the guy that tells people to bring you sandwiches. <laughs> like yeah. you, you list so many people in the credits, throw Chuck Wendig, who's an amazing creator. I know him from when, I, uh, as a young man, he, he wrote so many amazing comics, had really good runs on the Marvel comics, before, uh, Star Wars comics before, uh, Chuck Sewell started, and he, when when I first heard that it was him writing the aftermath novels, I went through the roof. At nice. at the same time, uh, I gotta say, you know, he's already been paid for his work, uh, and I I kind of I sit in the same place where where uh, um, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's families, grandchildren, are trying to get money out of these billionaires, um, and I feel like yeah, you have money, you you could probably placate them and stuff, but when you've already been paid for your work, I think, I think it's, it's kind of silly to, to, you know, I, I'm somewhere in between. I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say is that I, I really respect Chuck no. and his work and I, and I don't want him to, you know, and, and I also, I also know that he's already been paid for his work and it's not, it's not a financial thing. So Disney just put his name on the friggin' project because he created yeah. a brilliant character and Timothy Oliphant brought him to life. And I do have to say for the record, if I scratched down a cool character on a napkin and then uh, Robert De Niro played him in a movie and won an Oscar, it wouldn't have been because Robert De Niro was so awesome. It would have been because I scratched it on a napkin. And now on to other things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they commenced with some small talk. And uh, Mando asked him, how you been since you gave up your armor? And, he says, more careful. And it's just that man. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I love it. More careful. Snappy. Snappy and, and just to the point. So best line of the episode. Uh, Cobb asks about Grogu and laments that they both lost something they were fond of. Din asks if he can buy the Marshall a drink and the head the pair head into the cantina. And for a second, um, 
I thought he was going to take his head off and his helmet off and actually have a drink with him. I really did for a second. I, I thought that he might have established sort of a new uh, convention, but he, he didn't. In fact, inside the weekway bartender pours the marshal a single glass of liquor, but it's brown. It doesn't appear to be spotchka. So things are hard. Things are tough. They're not like the spotchka days of, of old, the old armor mm. spotchka days. They seem to be drinking some kind of cheap whiskey now. Uh, I also noticed that the, the crate dragon ribs <laughs> are lying yeah. inside of the cantina. So uh, everybody's got a piece of the trophy. And, so, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think the New wind is going to blow that, that uh, building over. No. So cool. Uh, Cobb says there's peace and his people are content. They sort of pick up the conversation. He's like, you know, I don't think my people want to fight. And uh, Mando tries to convince him, saying, you know, the, the people of Mos Pelgo are, are, are good to go. They're, they're excellent fighters. And, and uh, the bartender chimes in, Freetown. And the weak way, uh, you know, Freetown is what we call the name, the name now. And so now we're, we're in line with the Aftermath novels. So it, might as well give Chuck yeah. another credit. Because it was one of the sort of things that we were like, huh? Wait a minute. It's called Freetown. <laughs> so we, uh, we, we did go over that a little bit in, in our, our first episode of season two. Uh, well, there's my notes on Chuck, actually. <laughs> uh, Should we point out the particular bottle of whiskey that's sitting on that bar? It is. It is the CN Tower whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> so Canadian getting, connection. Oh, amazing. And it's getting, uh, it does look like a space bottle, too. It's getting uh, some, a little bit. A little traction on Twitter, actually. Uh, it's super rare. Like, they, they gave every single employee that year that worked there when it came out. But it had a very limited run at the uh, uh, LCBOs in Ontario there with you guys. And uh, uh, I would imagine it's probably a fairly rare thing to have a bottle of that laying around. So that's that's a cool other prop for them to sort of suss out. And uh, a cool catch mm. to whoever saw that on Twitter for the first time and put two and two together. Bartender tells Mando this is a, this is a, a city folk fight. And Cobb agrees. And when he's pressed that Mando, he and Mando are square. Uh, and Mando says to him, you know, almost intimidatingly, he says, uh, I didn't think you were one to back down from bullies and chipping at Cobb's pride. Like they understand what makes each other tick, you know? Uh, yeah. And then he says, that's he what I like about you. Th yeah. That's what I like about you, Mando. Big smile of yours. that lets you get away with anything. It's great. You know, uh, yeah. I love stuff that's self-referential like that. Like, you know, says a lot of things about Mando's inability to take off his mask because his expressionlessness, the way yeah. he acts so well through that mask, all in one little phrase there. Yeah. But uh, Mando states flatly, there's no easy way to ask for a favor. Cobb exhales sharply. I'll tell you what, things are tough here and I'll see what I can do. Mando nods and thanks and as quickly as he arrives, he's off in a cloud of dust. The marshal tells yeah. Weequay on the street, Get word out to all men and women of fighting age that are coming to town. The barkeep protests, this is not our fight, Marshal. Maybe, Cobb thinks deeply, it might be after they hear what I'm going to say. And I think well, he's probably going to... Did I miss a line? another line there. Uh, no, but uh, possibly. Uh, when Mando's laying into him, he says, you know, yes, it is for uh, Mos Espa right now, mm. but we're all on the same planet. Same and at planet. some point... That's it's right. going to come to your doorstep. And I right. think him in the back of his mind, having already dealt with the spice runners at the beginning of the episode, you know, that's what sparks yeah. that, you know, they might well, change their mind there, after right? I tell them. Yeah. That's right. It's already there. It's already at the doorstep yeah. for sure. 
so and I think what he's going to tell them at the town meeting is that what just happened with the spice runners. Yeah, he already had to run them off once. So, so the tender walks back inside as an ill wind picks up, pretending the sun, pretending the sun beaming through the shadow of wind chimes and one of cinema's oldest Western tropes. Yep. There's someone a coming, and Vanth can feel it. He turns out of town into the grizzard, a grim uh, into the desert, a grim look on his face. And we see the uh, the moisture evaporators have windmills on them now, and they're turning. Yeah. And if you watch any western during a gunfight, that's the only sound you can hear is that creak, yeah. creak, creak. And there's so many times during this scene that if there hadn't been a bantha behind Cobb Vanth, I would have not thought I was watching a Star Wars show at all. Yeah. <laughs> it just, you know what I mean? It was, it was, perfect. It, it went so heavy into Western territory, but it's so, so tense and. Oh, it's perfect. Obscured slightly by the heat waves of the dune floor, a lone figure slowly approaches. A long trench coat and a wide brimmed hat can be made out even at this distance. And, distance. and I squeal like a schoolgirl who just found a box of puppies. I know who this is. I'm standing mm. in my dark living room about 4.30 a.m., a hand on my sides, fingers twitching like I was approaching me. And in, and and I think that I've been filled. I don't think I've ever been filled with such manic joy. I think that this might have been. This is, this is right up there. Uh, all the marshal's alarm bells are ringing, and he knows he has little time to tell. Uh, he knows he has little time, and tells Joe to take all the people to head inside for a spell. I love the Western language. Yeah. Something wrong, Marshal? She inquires. I hope not. He tells her optimistically. I just want to err on the side of safety. She complies and. His hands on his hips, the marshal strolls confidently into the middle of the dusty road that defines the small town. The lone figure still steadily approaches in the distance. Thumbs in front on his gun belt, the marshal sizes up his opponent just as the deputy comes in from a door to ask, What's going on, boss? Not taking his eyes off the stranger for a second, he tells him, Let me handle this, deputy. The stranger now more clearly defined is past the moisture operators that define the outskirt of the flats. The deputy wall... Uh, the deputy walks down the steps. I'm not leaving out here alone. He's cocky. He's headstrong. But Cobb hurriedly tells him, get inside. And the stranger finally reaches about 50 yards. The deputy reluctantly slinks back into the shadows of the doorway. Cobb looks squarely at the interloper, calmly poised, his right hand resting on the grip of his blaster. A long high shot gives us a sense of the tension. And if it weren't for the bantha in the background, <laughs> this could be any number of the great westerns. With the POV over Cobb's shoulder and the stranger heads down, with his eyes buried in the brim of his hat, he speaks, Cobb Vanth. And I think I pee a little when I hear his voice. Because <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's Cody. Uh, yeah, uh, you're returning I'm losing to the my mind. voice role, at least. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm geeking out. Uh, I'm misremembering his name, Barton. Um, yeah, and I just I go I go nuts because I mean, there's no doubt in your mind, but you know they still doing the slow reveal, and, yeah, and I just I got yeah. I, what I'm what I'm really excited for is the millions of kids out there that have never met this guy yet, yes. and how they're like they're doing the slow reveal for them. It's not for me. I know I knew, I knew when I saw him this big. Yeah, head, you knew at the silhouette. Right? You know, and there's still a chance that they could throw me a curveball. So I'm still like, oh, maybe yeah. that's a different guy. You know. Uh, before uh, we get too far, though, uh, just sure. a note on uh, Mando recruiting the uh, the Freetown fighters. Mm. Uh, Wes has a thought on that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, that brings me to something I, I really want to talk about. And this, this, this is something that really bothers me, especially in light of all of the stuff that we've sort of been uh, chewing at the, at the bit for is we've, we've wanted to see a return to 
some of the, the, the legends aspect of Boba. We wanted to see him sort of at the height of his bounty hunterness, if I can say that. And so we said before, if you introduce Din Djarin, then you now have access to Grief Karga, and Grief Karga gives us access to any number of bounty hunters. Why in the world does Mando want to recruit civilians for the upcoming war? And I know that there are a lot of you out there who are going to say, well, listen, man, they, they did take down a crate dragon, but it's an animal, and we're talking about sentience with blasters and explosives, and it's a war. I don't think, to me, it's really, it's an apples and oranges thing. And I really feel like if they do hire, or if the if the, the people of Freetown, Freetown, by the way, uh, the Mos Pelgo territory, now officially uh, called Freetown, which brings it in line with the, uh, the Aftermath uh, novel series, which is kind of cool. But yeah, missed opportunity if we do actually end up having civilians instead of uh, uh, some bounty hunter muscle or bounty hunter soldiers. So hopefully... Uh, that will still that will still happen. I gotta just say though, like uh, we have convention uh, for peasant uprisings and westerns. Uh, yes, that's that's you know so many times we've gotten an unspoken army out of you know we even did it. <laughs> we even did it in this sort of Seven Samurai episode of the uh, of the uh, the first season of Mandalorian, where we w- with the uh, the planet with the frogs. Where yeah. we uh, we trained the villagers up real quick to deal with hardened thugs with the young, um, yeah, with hardware. These are hard people with an invested interest in saving their homes, and I don't think that bounty hunters who could turn turn you know, if if Cad Bane is about to make a statement. Oh, it's Cad Bane, by the way, kids. It's he's about to make a statement where he's going to match the money, and if he says that, yeah. Without loyalty to anybody, every single bounty hunter that's been hired is going to take the better deal, which is yeah. same money. I don't got to risk my skin. These people, as a result of what ha- is about to happen, are highly motivated, highly yes. motivated. And being on planet already, like Boba doesn't have to truck them in. They're there ready. That's at right. The basic. Yeah. But, uh, the shots play back and forth now, focusing on the duelist from the chest up, and we get the tight shot of the stranger as his pale blue face and sharp teeth clearly in view. Whatever pet is, whatever fed is paying you will match. All you got to do is stay out and let things play out. He hasn't even lifted his head yet. Such a cool ass villain, I can barely stand it. Listening from the doorway, the cocky deputy can't contain his youthful exuberance any longer. The marshal ain't for sale. Cobb Vance shoots him an icy stare that could freeze Siberia. Tim Oliphant is about to launch in a tour de force of silent acting, and um, I lose track of the range of emotions he goes through in the next few seconds. But I'm going to go back and watch his entire catalog, even the Drew Barrymore show. There you go. <laughs> the stranger audibly <laughs> exhales, knowing now that this the way this is going to go. But Vance tries to reestablish control. I'm sorry, I didn't catch your name. The stranger slowly lifts his head and his burning red eyes sharply come into focus. And finally, the Duras bounty hunter, Cad Bane, steps into live action from our animated Star Wars nightmares. Uh, I, I guess we should give him like a little, like a little bit of a, a bio, preamble, if you will. like let everybody know uh, where he sort of, 
first appeared in the Clone Wars cartoons and uh, just the look of him, like right off the bat, uh, yeah. Lee Van Cleef from The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Uh, Intimidation all about him. And the the jobs that he's on, you know, a lot of people uh, like like Lauren doesn't like the, the the first sort of story about how they they kidnap Jabba's son and stuff like that. Um, um, but it's it's because he's such a nasty villain. Yeah. Um, I went through it like like he his greatest hits, if you will. Okay, so he he goes toe to toe with Fennec Shand uh, while they're tracking down the same bounty Omega. Um, yeah. He fights Anakin Skywalker with a lightsaber, uh, and 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 holds his own. <laughs> okay, like um, barely escapes with his with his life, but like for a while he you know he he holds his own. He um he he beats Hunter in a duel. He uh, ostensibly he's beaten Boba Fett in a duel, although it's kind of whether that's Cameron or not. Way. We're in a, in a roundabout way, they kind of shoot each other. I, mean, I think we're so close to getting a live action it, version of yeah. I think we're going to get that right before now. the season is done. Yeah, a hundred percent, a hundred percent show off. Um, uh, and then and just you know, and having him be such a the the line that he's about to give, you know, Boba Fett is <laughs> a cold blooded killer who works with the Empire. And I've never seen a, a kettle call a, a pot Cromer <laughs> like <laughs> like. Uh, you know, I mean, he he routinely worked for the separatists. He, he routinely yeah. worked for crime syndicates, and and like whoever's was, paying. He literally worked for Palpatine uh, as Sidious, uh, collecting force sensitive children <laughs> to sell them to the back to the you know. So he's a, he's a piece of dung, but he's a dangerous, dangerous piece of dung. And so far, we've never seen him lose one of these fights. Uh, and yeah. I think that perhaps that scene in the beginning. No redemption arc evil. for Bane. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You got to have that. You're, I, I, I agree. You got to have that. Um, yeah, because he is a clear cut villain. The trend for to have Boba the wishy-washy still... sort of gray villains is like, you need the, you need the real, real bad guys to, to root against. You, you really need that sort of uh, hard line. I, I believe in fantasy. It, it just makes things easier. Um, it's fun when things are nuanced, but you 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 do need characters that are like so steeped in that stuff that you just can't help but wish them dead. Yeah, we got one more uh, comment here from oh, yeah. Red Swenson. The Old Republic MMO is introducing a Duro's bounty hunter this month. Kind of had a feeling it might be a tie-in to Senor Bane. There it is. Yeah, maybe. Perfect. Perfect. That's Could that's be. that's really good news. Yeah. Yeah. What a great character. Yeah. Stranger slowly lifts his head and his burning eyes sharply come into focus. Finally, the Duras bounty hunter Cad Bane steps into live action. A shot of Vanth reveals the heightening tension. I'd be careful or I would stick in my nose if I were you, Bane hisses. The deputy, not really understanding the gravity of the situation, moves closer. But the marshal must remain in control of the conversation. Is that friendly advice or a threat? In one of the biggest, in one of the biggest pot calling the kettle chrome moments ever, Bane states, Boba Fett is a cold-blooded killer who worked for the Empire. Swap Empire for Separatists and you have a good chunk of Bane's resume. Yeah. But the negotiations have ended. And Cobb offers, you tell your Spice Runners Tatooine is closed for business. This planet's seen enough violence. Bane, Bane knows the time for talking is over too. You should have never given up your armor. Bane pulls back his long coat with his left hand, revealing the handle of his blaster still holstered. 
Cobb's hand moves. I love this moment the... too. Oh man! <laughs> With all the like all the folks of the village just kind of peeking out, peeking out. Yeah, exactly. yeah, like opening the shutters and oh, so catching good. a little visual, but. Cobb's hand moves to position over his own blaster and the tension rises with the music as we quickly cut back and forth between the marshal, the stranger, and the deputy. He was clearly making things difficult for Van. Sensing the younger man's anxiety over clearly having never been in, in a gunfight before, Cobb takes his eyes off Van for a split second as the deputy can, ha can't handle the escalation any longer and tries to fumble for his blaster in its housing. Cobb is fast, but Van is faster. He takes the marshal out of the fight with a blast to the shoulder and then teaches the deputy his last lesson. Gunning him down yep. with several shots. Bane speaks coldly. Tatooine belongs to the syndicate. As long as the spice keeps running, everyone will be left alone. And as slowly as he came in, the bounty hunter turns and slowly stalks out of town, his message delivered. The town folks run out to see if the marshal is alive, and it's unclear, but they want a med pack, and they ask for a stim. Stim is an Easter egg from the canisters from the Jedi Fallen Order that... BD gives Kyle Kestis every time he gets injured. Stim nice. pops one up in the air and jams it in himself to get heal health. That's an awesome little, just a nice. little thing there. Townsfolk roll out to see if the marshal is alive. It's unclear. Uh, the bartender stares hard at the bounty hunter as he saunters off. Bade may have just hardened the uh, hard people's already hardened resolve. Yeah. Back at Garza Whips. <laughs> I I mean that was amazing. Um, he, the bartender was, just kind of stiffens up too, right? Like, yeah, yeah. He like there's some heavy I mean, resolve if, there, so that has the opposite. Yeah, if, that that's the opposite reaction. Uh, first of all, Cobb Vanth isn't dead. Um, no, I'm actually not even convinced that you won't see him back in Boba's armor at some point. Yeah, uh, some way somehow. I, I I just in a weird. I got a weird feeling about that. Whether Boba is like voluntarily yeah. like here, put this on, go fight this guy, or. I, I mean, I can't see that being the reason, but um, yeah, Wes has got a thought on this too. Do it. Is uh, is Cobb Vanth dead? Did he survive the shootout with with uh, with Cad Bane? Uh, Deputy, what's his name? I'm I know for a fact that he's gone, um, but I think we're gonna see Cobb Vanth come back because I don't think I don't think he's down and out. I think he's down, but I think he took it in the shoulder, and we'll find out that uh, that he did survive. Nice to see Cobb Vanth return, by the way. So this we know a, for sure he did take it in the shoulder. So he did take it in the shoulder. I I <laughs> I caught it so quick. I was, <laughs> and also yep. the fact that they want stims and they want to bring him inside. There's all kinds of in the descriptive audio they uh, in the uh, the subtitles. Yeah. They're they're not talking like he's dead. They don't know anyway. No, but they need to fix um, him in now. It reminds me a hell of a lot of the fight with Hunter. Uh, quite frankly, the duel with yeah. Hunter. Yeah. A quick uh, cliffhanger to let us think he's gone, but uh, right, right, not really gone. Uh, do we want to dial in on the uh, the look of Cad Bane at this moment? Or oh, sure, we should talk about because uh, Weiner's. Wes has a thought on this too, and then I respect your opinion. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think people are nuts. I saw one meme this week, and I didn't even repost it or anything, but it was great. It said, "If you're if you complain about Star Wars, perhaps you don't like Star Wars." And you like complaining. <laughs> um, <laughs> let's just say this. Um, this character, uh, we haven't seen him in any visual form, although it was a couple weeks ago that we saw those episodes if we rewatched them. Um, 
in any visual form for 25 years. It's 25 years since his last appearance in any visual sort of narrative that we've seen within the and Star so he, Wars universe. Do Duros gray up a bit as like as humans do when they get older? Maybe their skin grays up a little bit. For me, having him grizzled and gray and old is is like Clint Eastwood from The Unforgiven. Like like he's past his prime, but he's still nobody to f with. Yeah. Um, and I, I sort of took it like that. And then I saw somebody posting on a Facebook group. And um, and I think even Wes had – actually, I think it was Wes in a comment. It said, these things track directly with the Duros that we had from A New Hope. And I went back and I looked at some shots. And then I answered him in his in his post. And I, I posted a picture of the two Duros. There's two of them. And side by side with this version of Cad Bane, they look perfect. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some ridiculous stuff. I saw a really good tongue-in-cheek one where they were like, I just saw the guy they cast to play Dooku for Attack of the Clones, and his eyes aren't mean enough, and his beard isn't square enough, and it's not like a triangle, and his head isn't shaped like a... like a, <laughs> and, and the guy was being completely tongue-in-cheek. Um, the animated series are highly stylized, folks. Yes. Highly stylized. Especially Rebels is so steeped in the Ralph McQuarrie production art. Okay? Um, I... I don't, I don't know how to please people like the, the, you're never going to please everyone, but the, the mopeds were too blue. Cad Bane's not blue enough. I think maybe people should worry something, you know, about other than color. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> but give me something, the fact, give me something to chew on. The fact that we're getting him in live action is just awesome. Right. Right. And it was one of these things that we speculated and sort of, called in the very first episode the things we'd like to see yeah. and this was this was at the top of some lists and and i yeah. i don't understand why people look a gift horse in the mouth i mean he could have had mickey mouse ears on and it would be Cobb van yeah. or uh, it would be cad bane and i'd be like okay well i'm gonna deal with it <laughs> yeah uh wes has got some thoughts on this here so let's uh, yeah yeah, yeah. that one do it and uh man when Cad Bane was strolling up in the middle of the desert, I don't think there was anybody in the room that didn't realize who that was or didn't have their suspicions. And when we saw him in his full live action glory, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I thought, uh, what a fantastic translation from uh, animation to, to live action. And I know that that's come up. It's only been a couple of days. And even, uh, but here on vacation, even I'm not immune to the fact that people have been uh, complaining about. Uh, about the look of Cad Bane. In fact, we we were less than 24 hours before somebody had already, already deep faked what they thought was an improved uh, look of Cad Bane. But you know what? And I've said this all along. You know, Cad Bane is a character that was that was introduced during the Clone Wars. And and if we all just take a step back and remember that the Clone Wars, uh, that animation style, it was a hyper hyper stylized uh, animation style. You know, it's a lot of hard angles, very, very sharp, sharp features. So yeah, I mean, the Cad Bane that we were interest uh, that we were introduced to uh, during the Clone Wars was absolutely consistent with the medium and uh, totally fit in with that style. Just like the live action Cad Bane that we just got introduced to is perfectly, perfectly uh, in style and consistent with other uh, aliens and other creatures that we've seen throughout live action Star Wars. And great to see 
um, and I can't think of the gentleman's name, and I did it right, didn't write it down in my notes. We have the same voice actor coming back to reprise the role of Cat Bane, although it's a uh, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit edgier, uh, kind of like Peter Cullen, how he changed the the voice of Optimus Prime from animation to uh, to live action to be a little bit more uh, grizzled, if you will. Um, but I think it's fantastic. I don't care. Uh, that his skin tone is any lighter. I don't care that his hat is smaller. I think it's wonderful. I also think it's interesting that uh, they chose to uh, give us a, a nod to the hat that he's been wearing throughout the course of the Bad Batch with the uh, metal plating in it, which may or may not support the uh, the, 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 the Cad Bane-Boba dual uh, animatic that we've uh, talked about in our previous episode. Who knows? We may get a, a shootout yet between uh, Boba and Cad Bane, especially when Cad Bane still uh, uh, is referring to uh, Boba Fett as a ruthless killer. And we haven't seen, really seen that side of him, except with the uh, the Nikto Speeder gang. Corey Burton. We both crapped the bed on that one. Corey Burton. Uh, I've been slacking on the comments here tonight, uh, so apologies, folks. But apologies. Uh, we got one more from Red Swenson. Uh, a mod bod robot arm for the marshal. That could work. Ooh. Oh, that'd be kind of cool. That'd be kind of cool. Make him a bit quicker on the draw. Yeah. Little IG-88 arm. They could spin around, do some crazy stuff. There you go. That'd be all right. Back at Garza Whips. Yes. The joint is jumping. It's night. Notably, Max Rebo is not in attendance. I don't know if you guys noticed that. Instead, the droid yeah, drummer and both musicians that are are accompanied by a second Bith on horn, and that could be our man, Fingrin Dan. Garza is elegantly attired, as always. And she notices that two pikes come in the door. Um, she notices the pikes almost right away, and the pikes take a seat at a central table, and the droid takes a drink order. Uh, Garza's uh twilight attendants asked pikes if they would like their helmets clean and this would be a period of code for can we pay you to behave <laughs> but they are dismissed and report back to garza and as the droid approaches with drinks the pikes get up and begin to make their way to the door having never seen a mob movie garza Whip looks curiously after them and as they head to the door the droid notices they've left their camtona behind and as he grabs it and holds it in the air only a few feet behind the twilight owner it explodes in a thunderous crash from the front of the of the uh, can, uh, cantina, a fireball explodes, knocking even the pikes on the street to the ground. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't I don't know that uh, our our sweet little uh, Garza Whip and I don't I don't think she survives this man. Like I know she, uh, the look of terror on her face is just so telling. Yeah, uh, like in the instant she realizes what's about to happen, you got to know too, like in your head that's like some of tatooine's like elite scumbags uh hanging out at yeah. that place like it's where the sort of like you know everybody in there looks it looks like canto bite everybody's dressed to the nines uh it's yeah. a it's it's a seedier dive but you can imagine like if you wanted even you know if you didn't want a high-end place you'd go to moss Eisley and sit in a dank cantina but uh yeah. so you got to imagine they took out a, a a chunk of the uh the wealthy if you will on in tatooine mm -hmm. there further making their statement back on the lush planet uh luke and grogu sit in a single con uh, in the single completed stone structure reminiscent of the structures in octu and the one we see burning in the last jedi grogu and luke sit in the shady center of the room cross-legged across from one another and a red cloth laid out between them 
bridging the distance. Luke removes Grugu's presence from his tunic, placing it on the cloth to his left. He opens it and holds up the Beskar chain shirt we all knew was in there. Uh, so no, <laughs> I saw stuff going. No me it's too small for chainmail. It's going to be a helmet. <laughs> it's shaped like a helmet. Uh, but we all saw the chains fall. <laughs> uh, I saw some really crazy uh, speculation on that one. It's kind of funny, actually. We don't need Grogu looking like Scott Steiner. Right, right, right. Uh, the Mandalorian wanted to give you this. Luke places it down and Grogu reaches for it. But Luke cautions, before you take it, I'll give you a choice. He opens a small wooden chest on his right side and he removes a small cylindrical object. This is a lightsaber and he ignites it and it snaps to life in a smooth green glow. It belonged to my teacher, Master Yoda. And he turns it off and cradles it in two open hands, offering it to, Gr to Grogu. He places it as on his right side, Grogu's left. Grogu stands to take a better look at it, the hilt, but Luke tells him, you can choose only one. But if you choose the armor, you will return to your friend, the Mandalorian. However, you will be giving in to attachment to those you love and forsaking the way of the Jedi. But if you choose the lightsaber, you will be my first student at my academy and I will train you to become a great Jedi. It will take you many years to master the Force, and you may never see your friend, the Mandalorian, again. Because, Grogu, a short time for you is a lifetime for someone else. Grogu looks first at the armor, and then at the saber, and then again at the armor. And Luke asks, so which do you choose? Grogu looking up at him, contemplating. Smash the black. Yep. Uh, there's, there's a lot to unpack in the, in the, in the last, um, let's tackle the lightsaber first. Cause it's less of an emotional beat. Um, yeah. so we have a few canon sources here, uh, that seem to be pointing at different things as to what this thing could be. If it, if it is indeed Yoda's lightsaber. So we all know that in the battle with Palpatine and revenge of the Sith, uh, in the Senate chamber, Yoda loses his lightsaber and it tumbles to the ground. Uh, yeah. We know that after that fight, he makes his way to that very ground and his, his cloak sort of waves in beside him and he picks that up, the will of the force, but we don't ever see him physically pick up his lightsaber. Um, no. Flash forward like 30, 40 years. <laughs> I don't know how long it is. We get a comic called uh, Age of Rebellion Special and in it, it's a bunch of short stories. And, and in one, uh, Yoda's got to eat and uh, he's trying to figure out a way to hunt some of the native creatures on on uh, Dagobah. And he goes into his chest and he's got this running in a monologue how he's not worthy and swore he would yeah. never pick up a lightsaber again. Uh, literally not worthy, uh, would never diminish the honor of the blade by wielding it, would never diminish the honor of the order by pretending uh, that he had not sullied that with his decisions. Uh, really heavy yeah. stuff, actually. And in it, he takes the lightsaber and he fashions it into a bow. There you go. Awesome. Well done, sir. And he uses the bow to hunt the food. And again, he's not using the force to just like lift it up to him. He's no, actually right. hunting it. Right. He's actually, yes, exactly. Um, so there's a couple other things. There's a Lego set that I have uh, where <laughs> there's a chest. And in the chest, there's not real objects, but there's a sticker. And in the, on the sticker is Yoda's lightsaber in the chest, and it's supposed to go under his bed. Hmm. In the 2016 Complete Locations, <laughs> I, I found, and it was really, really hard to find. I had to go through Google Books and like try to look at a preview. And then actually, you can preview every page in a book, but you can only like 
have half the you gotta zoom in on it like crazy. Yeah. But I did find the entry on Dagobah where it actually shows Yoda's lightsaber looking identical to the one that Luke has in a chest with a little note, Yoda's lightsaber, which he does not ever use. Flash forward even further, 2017 Darth Vader comic number one. Number two. It's here somewhere with me. <laughs> and in it, <laughs> and in it, one of the emperors, uh, I think it's Poli Massa, uh, one of the emperors, like sort of political uh, pungence, uh, one of his like right hands, publicly burns Yoda's lightsaber in front of everybody on on TV, if you will, and broadcasts it all over Coruscant, all throughout the galaxy, that that they finally they defeated the corrupt Jedi. So we got some things going on here. We got an official source book from 2016 saying that Yoda had it. We got a Lego playset, which has sort of actually spoiled some things in the past, saying that Yoda had it. Mm. We have Luke holding it in modern times, if you will, saying that Yoda had it. And we have a comic book <laughs> uh, that while canon, uh, says that it was burned in public. So I'm going to run down a few theories here. First of all, it's not it's not ridiculous that Yoda could have had two lightsabers and maybe even had a, a working hilt for another lightsaber pre this lightsaber or during the same time. Not that he would construct mm. a new one after because we know his views are pretty anti-lightsaber yeah. in terms of that. Is it? Um, also, Obi-Wan lost his lightsaber reportedly nine times. Uh, Anakin lost his lightsaber less than Obi-Wan, actually. Uh, the first time Obi-Wan remade a lightsaber, he made it identical to the first one. And after his third and fourth ones, he, he changed the conventions. Uh, Anakin made a, a lightsaber as Darth Vader, sort of like an inverted version of his lightsaber that he made when he was a Jedi. So there are conventions where these lightsabers are very similar. So, And then a thought, another thought occurred to me if they didn't have a lightsaber to burn and they wanted to burn a symbol, wouldn't it be easier than the three Just things that we've one. seen being wrong? But the thing that's wrong there is that they're actually burning an effigy. It's quite possible. And what we thought, and they literally thought it was Yoda's lightsaber, but they were burning an effigy. Uh, it, all these things are theories. Uh, Luke's got something in his hand. He's offering to Grogu. And I guess that sort of takes us to uh, choose the ball or, choose the sword <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are up in arms about this scene saying it makes luke to be a complete jerk off um but it's classic so the other thing i got to say about this episode is we're split right down the middle with the two things that make star wars the best thing in the whole world and why we love that so much and that's half of it is a western and half of it is a samurai movie um and right yes. down the middle you know so and we're back here in the samurai thing and there couldn't be more of a classic uh a samurai uh, Western style story than Shogun Assassin, later adapted for uh, manga as Lone Wolf and Cub. And if, if those of you don't know Lone Wolf and Cub, the manga and the Shogun Assassin, uh, there's five movies, by the way. It's about a former assassin who worked for a daimyo who uh, whose daimyo goes mad and kills all the heads of the families in a certain area of Japan and uh, he basically has to go Ronin and he takes his infant son with him because the daimyo has his wife killed. And the adventures are basically a baby in a pram 
and a guy with a sword wandering, just like walking around Japan. And it is the best stuff you've ever read in your life. It's so good. It's so good. The the baby's kill count is so high. It's not funny. <laughs> um, <laughs> but there's a, there's a really big, and it, it was, it's been adapted in, in a lot of different media, but for me from, from uh, being so right into uh, rap music and hip hop, straight from the uh the wu-tang jizz's liquid swords album where he uses the uh, shogun assassin he samples it a lot and it's the uh the speech by uh daigoru which is close enough to grogu for me <laughs> i know some of you are like that's nothing the same but there's a g and o and r and another o in it that's close enough for me um and he basically says there's a scene where he tells him you need to choose the sword or the ball and it's a metaphor the ball, the sword is choose life, choose to fight with me along my side. And it's, it's pretty harsh, but he tells him to choose the ball and join your mother in death. And literally the stakes are that high. He's about to kill his son if he makes the wrong choice. Luke's not about to do that, but the choice, the idea of this choice is so steeped in that samurai lore that it is completely perfectly fit here. It, it's, it's, it's not a fault of Luke. It's not, he doesn't, I've seen all these posts about only Sith deal in absolutes. This yes. is Luke not knowing what he's doing. This is Luke trying to find the will of the force here and let Grogu make his own decisions. Because at the end of the day right now, Grogu has had more training than Luke. This is classic samurai trope. It's classic lone wolf and cub and shogun assassin trope. And it fits seamlessly in here. And I'm going to tell you right now, He's going to choose the Beskar because Luke says something to him. It's a really so. important line too. He says, a short time for you is a long time for others. And you may never see your friend, the Mandalorian again. And that's the piece of information that Grogu is going to use to inform his decision because he could take the Beskar and go and live 50 years or a hundred years with Din Djarin and then return to and the Jedi order at some place in the future and still have 800 years to go. So I'm super yeah. excited about the future of this. That decision will not be made in the next episode. That decision will be saved for season three of The Mandalorian. You won't see Luke or Grogu in the I next episode. So. Uh, you'll see uh, a very pensive and worried and sort of uh, distracted Din Djarin for sure. Uh, but that story is going to be resolved in season three of The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. uh, Wes had a, uh, a moment here for the teachings of Luke. Mm. So we can play that for you. Uh, where else? What else we got here? Uh, oh, here's another one for you. Um, we get a confirmation here and this one really sets up sort of the tragedy of Luke Skywalker. Uh, Luke is an awful, he's a horrible, terrible, terrible instructor uh, telling Grogu that he's going to train him to be a great Jedi, completely the opposite thing that Yoda had said to him on Dagobah that wars make not one great. Uh, and certainly, had Yoda been around, he'd have probably metaphorically kicked Luke in the butt. Uh, so yeah, a little foreshadowing there to uh, Luke not being ready to uh, to take students. And uh, yeah, they put that one on the nose for us. Oh yeah, I think you tanked that one. There's a distinction there. Wars <laughs> don't make one great. The line is, I'm looking for a great warrior. Wars don't make one great. There is no... Yeah. It's the great Jedi temple. It's the great Jedi order. It's the grand Republic. There's no convention that prohibits him from saying a great Jedi. The line, a great warrior means that wars don't make one great. That's, that's not how you get great. How you get great 
meditation. I agree. Uh, we also have one from him on the topic of Yoda's saber. Cool, cool. Let's see it. If we can go into that too. Okay. Yeah. Let's talk about Yoda's lightsaber. Okay. Did anybody else wonder where did that come from? And I know that the obvious answer is that he built a new one. But we've got a couple things going on here. We have a uh, we have a, a comic reference that says that uh, Yoda's lightsaber was burned publicly by the Emperor. Yet we have uh, another reference, the 2016 Complete Locations, that says that uh, Yoda actually had a lightsaber with him on Dagobah uh, that he kept kind of squared away in a small box. So, I mean, the obvious answer is, yes, he's built a second lightsaber, but then... I kind of go like, is why is Yoda married to this particular design? I mean, it doesn't, at first I thought, you know, this doesn't really fit well with the notion that when a Jedi builds their own lightsaber, that each lightsaber is unique and unto itself. And the, the prime example for that is Obi-Wan Kenobi, whose lightsaber changed drastically between The Phantom Menace and uh, Attack of the Clones and the other movies thereafter. But then, you know, the reality is that Anakin Skywalker, um, who uh, who inferred that he was uh, that losing a lightsaber was a pretty common occurrence for him, and who did in fact lose a lightsaber in Attack of the Clones when it was cut, did make the same design in time for Revenge of the Sith. And in case you forgot, that's the lightsaber that I like to refer to as the uh, Padawan Slayer Three Thousand. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know how you guys feel about it. Did Yoda build another one? Did he not? Does it, does it even matter that it's the exact same design? I mean, uh, if you want to take the Anakin thing a little bit further, even Vader's lightsaber with the uh, the black accent still largely resembles the uh, the Skywalker, uh, uh, the, the Graflex camera flash lightsaber. So, I mean, sure... There is a precedent either way that that lightsabers do change, uh, you know, from uh, from one to another. But again, we also have the precedent that uh, certain Jedi do uh, tend to stick to a particular design. So that's up for debate. What do you guys think about that? If he hadn't pre-recorded that, I would have said he was copying me. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. My only thoughts on it, um, and this is actually a point that bugs me about Luke just handing over the saber. The saber building it and constructing it is supposed to be something like super personal to the sure. Jedi, right? Sure. And that I'm thinking that's why if they keep rebuilding them and they keep resembling each other, it's because that's what the force is helping them to do, right? Like that's sure. the feel they should build. I agree, so, except the just, only way Luke ever got a lightsaber was by um, having it handed to him. True. Yeah. True. And I would say that not understanding the like I, I bet there's a convention where luke will end up on ilum looking for the kyber crystals but we also know from the jedi fallen order game that what the empire did to ilum which was strip mine them and then turn ilum actually into a star killer base uh with the first order so uh actual kyber crystals might be a rarity in the galaxy sort of moving forward uh, and you might True. have to repurpose lightsabers. True. Yeah. So uh, that's our episode. I think so. We've cut to black and uh, we need it. You know, Woo. we got one more to go. Wes will be back with us uh, next oh, time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, It'll be smoother. We didn't do too bad, though. 
We did pretty good. No, we didn't. Uh, we got another comment here from uh, Red Swenson. Uh, my thought for the finale, Luke shows up to drop off Grogu, possibly with the Falcon and Han Solo, and ends the war on Tatooine. No, nah, uh, I don't think so. That's no, uh, a great idea. I, I mean, we're I, get not him. that I wouldn't, I wouldn't bat an eye at it. I just don't think it'll happen. I think, uh, have you heard the rumors that they're going to be doing a uh, Shadows of the Empire live action movie? I've heard rumors. I haven't looked yeah, too far into the, it. Though. Big, big, big rumors lately. I know a giant freaking robot or whatever they're, they're hit and miss, but uh, some cool stuff out of Bespin Bulletin and them. That would be cool because it would be, give them an opportunity to flex and literally mm. like de-aging all the legacy characters. Yeah. I mean, you need, you need every, everybody in their prime that, for those of you who don't know, Shadows of the Empire occurs between uh, Jedi and, uh, sorry, uh, Empire and Jedi. And it sort of tells a little bit of the story about uh, uh, through the eyes of a, a, a character that's not one of the legacy characters called Cal Cartan or whatever his name is. Uh, uh, the, the story of what happens and how they try to find Luke. And little things like Leia learns the... Uh, the thermal detonator trick from Lando. It's how she acquires the thermal detonator. Uh, you know, uh, watching Luke to have on hand. Not very good at. You know, she actually knocks Boosh out and gets the costume. We're just watching Luke not be very good at at the Force. Um, uh, spending time in, in the opening chapters, he's meditating, trying to walk a tightrope at a Tatooine circus after he's uh, mind tricked everybody to. Uh, uh, like not remember that he was there and they're all just wandering around sort of mindless, <laughs> like a, like a horrible thing for a Jedi to do. And he's walking on the tightrope, trying to meditate and do Jedi flips and tricks and stuff, focusing on his body, but he can't stop replaying, losing his hand to Vader over and over and over in his head. He's got some heavy trauma from it. It's a great thing. Uh, I, it would be great to see. And it would be a real cool uh, exploration of, could you actually do a movie where every single character is de-aged? Uh, that might be some cool stuff, but I don't know if they're gonna Indeed. they're gonna uh, hit us over the head with Han Solo and Chewbacca and the Falcon and Luke and Grogu. Um, that might be too much fan service. I again, I don't know if that's a, that's a possibility uh, unless they're all just sitting around playing like Sabak. <laughs> um, <Maybe. laughs> that would probably drive me mental. Um, I think that you, like I said, I think you'll see the, the decision will be made off camera. The decision will be made next in the Mandalorian. Um, I don't think Grogu will get uh, dropped off. I, for a five minute scene, I don't think we'll have Luke return to his old stomping grounds in such an innocuous way. If Luke ever yeah. returns to Tatooine, it's got to mean something serious. You know? Yeah. Not I, just for uh... me. For me. Not just a drug cartel war. Right, right. This uh, is... We got a, another comment here from a Facebook user. Sure. Uh, end the war on, on drugs. Well, that's <laughs> I guess, technically their intent. End the war on so, spice. Uh, yes. Boba Fett, go and do it. Perfect. But uh, we do have uh, one upcoming thing, though. Uh, oh. And you had pointed this out to me. Uh, hmm. There's a new five-issue miniseries coming from yes. Marvel this May. Uh, yes. Star Wars Obi-Wan, written mm. by uh, Christopher Cantwell, with art by Ario, um, sorry about the name, Andito? Andito? Andito. Andito. Uh, Very cool. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I would think it would fill in a lot of backstory, because it says it's going to find Obi-Wan in the final days of his time on Tatooine, mm -hmm. chronicling earlier adventures in his own journals. 
Right. And right. that one came from uh, StarWars.com with a reveal of three covers for issue one. Yeah. Which, absolutely. You know, this is multiple the, covers, the journal that Luke there. finds uh, in the actual ongoing Star Wars comic. There's a few uh, episode or uh, issues, if you will, dedicated to uh, uh, dedicated to those things. So uh, those stories about Obi Wan. So it's it's kind of cool that that and probably serve as a nice primer too for the show, which should be mm, hitting the, the airwaves very close to that. In fact, a Disney Plus exec erroneously uh, tweeted that the show would be on uh, in May. Uh, but hmm. was talking about the comic book <laughs> and confused the hell out of some people. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go. But uh, I think uh, that's all I got for this uh, episode. Me, me too. I can't, I, I can't wait. I can't, I've never been stoked for yeah. a TV show. Like uh, just keep them coming. I can't, you know, Cassian and or Ahsoka. Obi-Wan, um, Mando season three, more bad batch. Yeah. I just, uh, it's an yeah. avalanche of cool and I, I just can't wait, man. Yeah. So, uh, we do have a, uh, a see you next time from Wes. So I'm going to play mm-hmm. that now. All right. We've got one episode left coming up next week. I'll be back from vacation for, uh, for that one. So I'll be back to, uh, back to the narration seat and, uh, I'll be back with you guys, uh, in a week's time. I hope you guys have enjoyed this episode as much as I have. Remember, everybody, it's okay to be critical of something and still love it. And I do. And I love all of you guys. And I'll see you on the next one. Bye for now, guys. Thank you to Wes for those clips. Sending them out, even though he's on vacation. Still working. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, he covered up the bruises. Pretty nice from Kim there. That's that's good. (laughs) So uh, don't forget to like and subscribe. Costs nothing and helps out a ton. And uh, we will uh, see you guys on the next one. Bye, guys. May the force be with you. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Fandom Power. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll be talking about another one of your favorite fandoms. Fandom Power is a Sawcast production.